Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. After a one-week unfortunate hiatus, we are back. And guess what? We get to celebrate not one, but two Vikings victories and a Green Bay Packers loss. Tonight, we are going to talk about how the Vikings won this game, and they did not get help from the officials to do it. Stick around. Climb the Pocket Monday is back, and we are ready to fire. Hey! The show features Tyler Fornis and Deshaun Vaughn as they talk your Minnesota Vikings with you, the fans. You are looking live. Welcome back to another episode of CTP Mondays. We have Mary in the chat. Viking Jerome is back with us. And we have Steven in from Australia. Well, in case you forgot, my name is Tyler Fornes. I'm your co-host on the show today. We have our trusty producer, Dave, in the bottom right corner of your screen. And we have my co-host, Deshaun, just above him. Gentlemen, we're on a two-game winning streak. We just beat the Green Bay Rotten Cheeseheads from across the border. How are we feeling today? I feel great, man. I feel – listen, we beat the Cheeseheads, and we were, like, sipping on some saltiness on Twitter, man. Their Twitter feed is salty as hell after that game. All every Everybody, like Aaron Nagler, that, that guy. <laughs> I – I never seen someone so salty in my life. Just tweet after tweet. It was a good win. Yeah. That was such a good win. That was like that was like the feel good win. Like it was close. Uh, we probably should have lost Kirk through a couple, eh. but hey, we came away with it. And that that's like that's the season turning season turning win right there. It absolutely is. And I think one of the big things that we're going to talk about here today is that aggressive mindset, which, let's be honest, it has been inconsistent at best over the course of the season. But they really pulled it together, and I think we're going to talk a lot in depth about it. Uh, Deshaun, we have a lot of things that we can start with today because we have a lot to get to. Where do you want to start here? Because we have a lot of different elements we can get to. Um, we can talk about the aggressiveness, Kirk Cousins, the defense. Uh, we have our players of the game. Uh, let's, let's figure out how to steer the ship. Where do you want to go? Uh, I think we have to talk about the aggressiveness because now it's been two weeks in a row. We've been asking for it for a long time, and now we've seen it two weeks in a row. And not only have we seen it, I think it counts against the teams that we have seen it against. Brandon Staley, known for being super aggressive on fourth downs when he has Justin Herbert, and we have Matt LaFleur. So these are two new school coaches that do this super aggressive thing that analytics loves. And then Mike Zimmer kind of comes out of the gate kind of adjust his coaching a little bit and kind of does what they do and wins both games. So I think that really has to be talked about the last two weeks. Kirk cousins, I think is top five in yards per attempt. That's, that's all we asked for. That's all we asked for. And I think one thing that was really interesting to see is that when, when cousins threw that pick, when he first threw it and we thought, Oh man, game over. We weren't mad. We were, Hey, you live and die by the aggressiveness. You take that. He's trying to make something happen. Someone makes a good play. You take that. If you lose the game, it's whatever. You know you left it all out there. Like, uh, I think everybody was cool with it. I mean, I was cool with it. Uh, what's his name? He was on the show. I'm trying to remember his name. From uh, Score North, he was cool with it. He was like, hey, you're tossing to Justin Jefferson. You're being aggressive. That's what mm-hmm. you want to do. So I, I'm, I'm glad we've seen this. Uh, Justin Jefferson is like, He's like unstoppable. Like I, I knew Justin Jefferson was good. Like we all knew Justin Jefferson was like that guy, but he might actually be like the best wide receiver like in the NFL. There's like not. I mean, other Devontae Adams put a move on McKenzie Alexander. Jesus Christ! But mm-hmm. Jefferson tore them up, and there's I really don't see another cornerback room that we're facing that can really contain them. I mean, you have Ramsey with the with the Rams. I think we play, but. Jefferson, you have the perfect weapons to be aggressive, and I love that they're finally, finally doing it. And I hope it, co- I hope it continues. But I also, you have to have that happy, happy medium. And I think you get there by having the defense and the offense complement each other better. Because for us to have that drive where Kirk was being aggressive, he goes down there, he gets this awesome score to Justin Jefferson, and you come back and give up a seventy-five yard touchdown, and now Kirk has to go back and do it again. And that's kind of what resulted in the pick. 
I think you find that happy medium by having the defense complement the offense a little bit better, and maybe the offense complement the defense a little bit better. When the first half, I think we were up what sixteen to three, and we had that drive that ended um, with the the CJ ham toss. <laughs> so I guess we could transition to that to that to the to that play call that uh, I guess some of us aren't fans of. No, um, I was not a fan of that play call, um, and uh, I know uh, we've got the graphic from the drive up. And it's incredibly, incredibly frustrating. Short pass right to Adam Thielen. Okay, five yards. Dalvin Cook on the left side. Took four. Third and one. All right. Fantastic. We have a chance to really be aggressive and put our foot on the throat and really take control of this game and go up by 20 points. And you call a toss to C.J. Ham. Now, I know we talked pre-show. Uh, there was kind of that counter motion with Dalvin, which – Really cool that you're kind of you're getting creative with that stuff, and you had uh, the that action with Justin Jefferson early in the game. Look, that stuff is all good because they're going to utilize that film from last week where Justin Jefferson took the ball and ended up going ten to twelve yards. So they're going to be thinking about that in their head that they're going to see that again. That counter action is good. The problem is you ran it with C.J. Ham on a toss play when the guy is a thick as a brick and is a really good power runner and is not good at moving laterally because of all the weight he's put on since college. He's not designed to run like that. And to utilize that play, now if Madison's in that spot, I'm not complaining about it. But you're running a toss play with your fullback on third and one when he's got like seven yards of depth. That's a really frustrating, rough, and I'll be honest, I thought it was an awful play call in that situation in that point of the game when you have an opportunity to take control and this is something we've talked about with the aggressiveness all season Deshaun, there have been times where they've been aggressive and then they take that step back which is why i'm keeping this aggressiveness at arm's length with mike zimmer even with his comments at the end of the the game and on today's presser where he's talking about how he wants kirk to really continue to throw that ball down the field and stay aggressive and he even said if you throw a pick it happens that's life like that's beautiful that's exactly what we want to see from this football team. But it really doesn't matter a whole lot if you're going to continue to run toss plays to C.J. Ham. That kind of concept is really going to hinder this team from really hitting their stride and being as good as they can be. That's an opportunity where you have to just try and get the first down with whatever boring-ass play you have. Just get, the, just get it. But to out-created yourself with a toss to C.J. Ham, I thought was objectively awful and probably the worst part of the game for the Minnesota Vikings. Luckily, they were able to overcome it, but I guarantee you if they ended up losing that football game, to me, that's a big turning point that allowed the Packers to get back in it and bring the game within one score. Yeah, and I agree with you to a point. Actually, I didn't mind the play call because of the counter motion that you mentioned. I, if I'm playing defense and I see Dalvin Cook go one way, I'm going to follow Dalvin Cook. I think the Packers just made a really good play. Their defensive line, it was a really back and forth battle between our offensive line and defensive line, but their defensive line won a little bit more than I was expecting them to. But like you said, that drive right there is the difference between good teams and great teams. That's that drive right there is because if we score on that drive, this game is probably never really close. Like, we put the Packers away, and we stomp on an 8-2 team. Like, that's the difference between going, finishing the game 34-1 to or putting your foot on their neck and probably finishing this game up 15 or 16 points. That's the difference between being the seventh seed or maybe being the second seed. So... I, I wasn't super mad at the play call because I didn't see it coming. I had no idea what they were going to do. And I guess when I see stuff like that from Clint Kubiak where we're kind of asking him to be more creative, it's almost like the aggressive thing that you ask for. If you're going to be aggressive and it doesn't work all the time, you live with it. But if you're going to be creative, sometimes it's not always going to work. Sometimes the defense makes a good play or sometimes you maybe follow it away or sometimes you modified it. Maybe next time they fake this, they fake the toss and they handed him up the middle instead of him going laterally. If Kubiak is going to be, he's going to be creative. It's going to work most of the time because he has stars on offense, but I don't hate it because it was, he called a lot of good plays that game, despite the offensive line, not playing super well. 
Um, so, I mean, you live and you learn. You go back, you watch film, you modify the play. Um, defense will watch film on that. You switch it up a little bit, and you'll probably catch the next team with what you were trying to do. I like a lot of what you said there, Deshaun. But I, I the one thing I keep coming back to, and I like, I'm a big process guy. If you continue to utilize good process, you will eventually achieve good results, and you will stay consistent with those results. But I, I also don't want to give him a pass for that play call just because he did a lot of other things well. And I think we need to parse those two things out. He did a lot of things well. And Kirk Cousins executed those things very well. And we saw a Kirk Cousins that we only see a few games a year. And if this, if Kirk Cousins against the Packers is consistent across a 17-game season, he's going to have a couple clunkers because he's an NFL quarterback. They all do. But if we see that consistently, Kirk Cousins is a fringe top five quarterback in the National Football League. And I don't think that's a very hot take because he his peaks are incredible. The big issue is his valleys are atrocious. Like they're Andy Dalton level bad. Like today's Andy Dalton, not Andy Dalton in 2013, which was a good football player. Like my big thing is you have to um, praise the good, critique the bad, understand why it was good and why it was bad, and then figure out how to be better moving forward. And I think kind of as you alluded to, they're going to watch the film. They're going to figure that out. I think they're never going to call a toss play to CJ Ham again, which I think would be for the benefit of everybody except the defense that they're playing because it should be pretty easy to stop. Uh, I I think one thing is we'll kind of continue to transition. Um, you mentioned the offensive line, and I kind of watched some plays back. Uh, being that I was there live, I couldn't really see everything. Uh, one thing that really stood out to me was Mason Cole. Now. One of the things with uh, how PFF does their grading, from my understanding, is if you get pushed back right away, you get deducted hard. And that's that's one of their big things. Uh, but one thing that really impressed me was a few times he got absolutely blasted off the line, he recovered very, very well. Kenny Clark pushed him back about four yards, and then he anchored up and stood that boy up. Ah, oh, a 60s football coach would have been thrilled to have him on the sleds, man. That was beautiful. Dave, I'm sure that you enjoyed that one as well because I know you are a big fan of the round bellies. And I think that this offensive line could have absolutely been better, but they didn't give up a ton of pressure. And when they did give up pressure, Kirk stood in the pocket and delivered, calculated, calm. He stayed patient. He maneuvered the pocket like he was Dan Marino, just sliding up, sliding over, avoiding the pressure and delivering down the field. It was awesome. I I wish we could harness that energy and keep it uh, keep it going the whole time. Dave, I know you weren't happy overall with the center play. I get that, but I'm talking about those plays where they just they figure it out as they're getting beat. That that was really cool to see. Uh, Darisaw struggled. But he's going to have struggles. He's a damn rookie. Brian O'Neill was okay. Uh, he was the best on the line. But it didn't feel like the offensive line hindered us, even though they probably played their worst game in the season. And to me, I think that's a big win. Yeah, and I think uh, I think a big two big things. Was we, saw, we saw Ali Udo recover tremendously. He was on like a three-game slide where he just was not playing well. But we saw him recover pretty well, especially in pass protection with no holding calls. Ezra Cleveland had a solid day in uh, run blocking. Um, with the center, Mason Cole, I didn't expect him to dominate Kenny Clark. Because when you talk about Kenny Clark, you talk about him with like the Grady Jarrett's of the world. He's he's a great player. Like he's Like, he doesn't He doesn't necessarily shine as like a top defensive player in the league on the Packers defense, but when you really watch him, he's a really good player. So for Mason Cole to actually have a back and forth with him, there were a few drives. There were like a drive or two where Kenny Clark like dominated. He had like two or three. I remember it was, I can't remember what drive it was. I think we ended up scoring on that drive, but he beat Mason Cole a couple times on that single drive. But next drive, Mason recovers. And he keeps him at bay like the entire drive. And that's what you want to see from your center that's not really – he's not a high draft pick. You're not paying him a whole bunch. He was average. And that's all we were asking for. We were asking you to not mm-hmm. be the worst center in the NFL, right? So – and that's what Mason Cole did. He went out there. He faced probably one of the better 
you could probably put Kenny Clark maybe top five ish in interior pass rushers in the NFL, maybe fringe top five. And he went out there and he battled and he was an average player. I don't think we can really ask for more for a guy that you got a, for a six round draft pick. I mean, when you put that in perspective, he played bad, but his bad wasn't his bad wasn't bad enough to ruin too many drives. His bad wasn't think, debilitating. Right. And you were able to manage it. And that's and Kirk did that. Now, I do have to say, Kirk makes some insane plays on a pressure that I do not think he makes every week. That touchdown pass to Justin Jefferson was crazy. <laughs> like, he was falling back in the pocket, handed his face, just threw it up. Justin made a good play. But that that's and that's then, the weird thing, though. Kirk's made those plays before. And it, it feels right, like... Yeah, yeah, yes. It doesn't feel like an anomaly, even though it's not a trend. Like, you can right. see those from Kirk, and it doesn't feel like you're seeing something brand new for the first time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but we'll, I mean, we'll see. Obviously, you want to see your offensive line play better every week. I was I was especially disappointed in Darius. But like you said, rookie. He's a rookie. He missed all the training camp. You're going to have games like that. But to see him go against all these good Pass rushers like this game that he had probably should have happened against Hassan Reddick and Brian Burns. Like, but he like dominated. He didn't dominate. Those guys won like one snap each against Darisol. But he goes against Preston Smith. <laughs> Preston Smith, who's at best like a third tier pass rusher, and Preston Smith had like his best game of the season. But I do think Darisol bounces back pretty well, so I'm not super worried about that. He was doing pretty good up until then. Um, uh, it's good to see Cleveland being steady. I think Cleveland doesn't get enough credit for being like this even keel. I mean, he's not like Zach Martin or whatever, but he's like super steady. He like doesn't drop too far, doesn't get too high, makes him made a great block on the goal line for the touchdown. Um, and then if we can get Ali Udo to stop fluctuating a little bit, and then we can have some solid play. And and I, I, all we really need for a playoff run is to be solid on the offensive line we need to not be awful and i feel like we're, we're inching closer to that every game because this was a bad game for the offensive line but we still scored 34 points it this wasn't like 2018 this wasn't 2020 where the offensive line stopped you from scoring points this wasn't that kind of game and and that that's encouraging for the future because you're, you're only going to get better this was like a really bad game and we've had much better games than this this season. So from here, you're going to see the team get better as we start to face teams like the 49ers and Nick Bosa. Uh, we got to face TJ Watt and Cam Hayward, who's playing out of his mind. And then we have to face, uh, oof, we got 49ers Steelers. Oh, and then we play Lions again, but I said that the first time and then we almost lost. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. Hey, hey, and we also have the Bears two times without Khalil Mack, who was placed on injured reserve with a season ending foot injury. So that and, there are going to be some Fields, tough battles out there. Not looking good. Justin Fields. I don't, I'm not I blaming think, Justin Fields. I think, I think it is Matt Nagy. I see a lot of band, Bears fans saying that it is Matt Nagy's fault. And I don't in depth on the Bills, on the Bears enough to really see if that's, the issue, but uh, Fields just does not look good out there. I think he definitely needs a new coach or, or something. He needs something out there because that, that offense looks awful. No, it really does look awful. And there, I think there are many reasons for it. One of them is the, the offensive line is way worse than ours. It's just <laughs> really, really bad. Um, and two, the weapons have not been good. Allen Robinson, I believe, is now out for the season as well, uh, which is really rough for Justin Fields. Um, but everything's bad in Chicago, but we are not here to talk about the Chicago bears. At least not yet. <laughs> we are still talking the Minnesota Vikings and let's transition to the defense side of the football, Deshaun. And I want to, I want to hear you go off on this guy because he was fantastic. Uh, from a live football perspective, the best defensive line on the day was Armand Watts. And I know you have been pumping this guy up for a long time uh, on the broadcast side. How did Armand Watts look? Was he as good as I thought? Listen, this is my guy. This is my guy right here. Armand Watts, James Lynch, those were my two guys. And Armand Watts showed out, man. He was all – it came off 
he came he he did settle in a little bit second half and was Aaron Rodgers was doing Hall of Fame stuff so I don't really blame that and Mike Zimmer did say that it was kind of his fault because he said he switched up what they were doing and that you can kind of see it, the pressure wasn't there but in the first half he was giving the Packers line all kinds of trouble he was slicing he was using power he improved in run defense he was playing some great run defense him and James Lynch both of them and you're just seeing him progress every week. Every single week. To the point where we almost don't need Michael Pierce, which is kind of wild. We thought, like, Thomason and Pierce coming in were, like, he's going to be the studs. And Armand Watts is, like, settling into this spot to where the point, I don't even know if you can start Pierce once he comes back. It's, it's exciting to see these these low-drafted players. I think Armand Watts is, what, a six-round pick, I believe. And he's, like, he's shown, like, sparks here and there. He had that game against Dallas where he recorded, like, Three run stops on like three three pressures. He had uh, 2019 right before the playoffs before he got injured. He was doing well. I think last season he had some some solid games. So he's putting it all together and he's he's now logging back to back to back to back weeks where he is playing well. And they need that. They need that. Another guy that I want to uh, sound off on Sheldon Richardson. Man, four pressures from the edge. That's that's exciting. I know we talked. I think we talked about this a long time ago, right before the season started, because we were talking about edge problems and how uh, Everson Griffin can't play too many snaps. And we're talking about Sheldon doing edge. He didn't look awful. Granted, it was against Billy Turner, and Billy Turner isn't great, but Sheldon on the edge could be a thing. Maybe I mean, we got to wait for Kenny Willikies to come back. But it's. I'm glad to see our pass rush isn't completely dead with Daniel Hunter gone. That's the most exciting part. We lose this guy who's probably a top five edge in the league when he's playing at his best. And you're still getting like 9, 10, 12, 14, 16 pressures a game. And that's exciting. For First of all, hats off to Mike Zimmer because he's the one doing it. He's the one orchestrating it. But also hats off to the guys that create pressures. Sheldon Richardson created like three pressures on his own yesterday. I think he had one design pressure. The rest he did on his own. Armand Watts, they ran a lot of stunts. They ran, they ran in a, a crazy amount of stunts yesterday. And you could see Everson Griffin was getting pushed way out of his rush lane on some of those. But Armand Watts was doing some good stuff. And it's exciting for the future because, you know, after the season, we're going to have to gut this defense. A lot of the free agents we sign are going to have to go. We're going to have to cut some guys. It's probably Anthony Barr's last season. It's nice to have guys who are going to be cheap and going to be around for a while. And I think you have to start to look at Armar Watts as, you know, that starting guy, even when Pierce comes back into next season. Um, I would have liked to see Cam Bynum play a little bit more. I feel like Zim kind of set Xavier Woods up to fail when he put him in that situation so many times. I mean, you you don't say, I mean, he sent an all-out blitz on first down, but you left Xavier Rhodes on MVS, who's like one of the faster receivers in the NFL. I mean, he's going to get burnt. I mean, you know that that outlook sometimes. So uh, kind of disappointed we didn't see Cam. I think he played only like four or five snaps. Maybe they'll rotate rotate that a little more. Um, Cam Dantzler. Cam Dantzler is also playing a lot better. I mean, Breland showed out, which is kind of surprising. I thought, I really thought Aaron Rodgers were gonna, was going to pick on Bashar Breland, but he was playing well. So the defense mm-hmm. is kind of coming around at the perfect time. Like, obviously, yeah, we gave up. 31 points. I mean, Aaron Rodgers kind of went like into like this God mode in the second half. He was like, mm-hmm. not going to get blown out, but Patrick Peterson coming back, having a solid game. He was kind of following Adams sometimes. And I just, it's, it's encouraging. I think that's like the word to use is that yes, the Packers scored 31 points, but at the end of the day, we gave the offense a chance to win. They, Mike Zimmer, again, was kind of having the quarterback confused in the first half. That's like This is like the fourth week in a row, fourth or fifth week in a row, where Zimmer comes out in the first half and the quarterback is just completely stunned and confused. It's like no clue what to do. You know, this week I don't think it was as much uh, that they had – Rodgers had no idea what to do. Outside of a couple blown coverages early, he had nowhere to go with the football. The coverage on the back end was fantastic. They were – uh, the Vikings did a really good job of uh, utilizing space well. And the reason why Rodgers checked it down a lot is because there was nobody open. Like, uh, obviously, Xavier Woods had an awful football game, uh, 156 yards allowed and two touchdowns. But 
they, they did a really good job early of holding the Packers to not getting big plays. There's that initial crosser to Devontae Adams, which I don't know whose responsibility it was. If it was uh, Eric Kendricks was in the middle, if he was supposed to carry him across. But on the right side, um, I think it was Bashad Breeland who carried the receiver deep instead of uh, settling down in the flat, which would have made sense for him to stay in the flat because of uh, Adams crossing. But it was mm-hmm. a, a really, really weird uh, play, which I blown coverages happen. You live, you learn, you move on, and you try not to do it again. Outside of that, they did a really good job of just keeping everything in front of them. Almost like a prevent defense, but it wasn't a prevent defense. They just did a really good job of eliminating a lot of the deep stuff. And then the one play we got to talk about, the Marquez Valdez-Scanling touchdown. The Vikings sent a zero blitz on first down, and the Packers whipped it in the butt. Like, I don't understand what I Mike Zimmer is doing. I don't hate that play call. I don't hate it. You're playing an aggressive. You're playing. Rodgers is heating up. He's playing aggressive. You're playing aggressive across all boards, and you're trying to shut this drive down no, early. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Famer. It was a little overly aggressive. It wasn't the aggressiveness. I think the aggressiveness is good. Zimmer is one of the most creative blitzers in all football. It was how he went about it, and running a zero blitz on first down, like, I'm all for aggressive, but you probably should have been a little bit more calculated than that. Try and run an overload on one side. You have Elton Jenkins, who unfortunately is now out for the year for the Green Bay Packers towards AC on Sunday. Try and run some kind of overload where you're you're getting offensive linemen and running backs thinking about who they need to who they need to block. Uh, last week, Cam Bynum had that nice safety where basically the A and the B gap to shoot through, and he picked the A gap and ended up getting the sack real easily. Why not try and create something where you're you're getting uh, an overload instead of just running a zero blitz? Like obviously, we're not uh, able to understand what the play call specifics are and kind of what they're trying to do and what they had seen leading up to it. But from our perspective, from my perspective, it seemed like a really poor choice of aggressiveness to run a zero blitz on that first down. And you have Xavier Woods, who's responsible for carrying MVS across the field when Woods has been getting cooked all game. It just it felt like a really poor use of aggression. And I think, for me, that's the issue rather than being aggressive. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't hate it. I didn't. I think you have Aaron Rodgers, and I can't remember what the score was, but what was the score? They went up by – they tied it with that touchdown, right? Yeah, it was 31-24 before the touchdown, and then they tied the game. You have Aaron Rodgers, who's now scored. I think they had scored on three drives in a row or two drives in a row before that. You have Aaron Rodgers. He's in his Hall of Fame mode. He's out there putting together probably one of his best games to get the Vikings that he's had in a few years, maybe. I, I mean, I don't hate going after him, trying to trying to end this drive early before it starts to get them behind the chains, I don't hate it. I mean, you trust your guy to not get burnt for 75 yards in five seconds, but it happened. Uh, the Packers did – I mean, I, I think I'm more willing to give more credit to the Packers than discredit the call because the Packers did a really good job of picking up that blitz. They did – the Packers did a fantastic job of picking up that blitz, which I honestly didn't think they were going to, but they did. And because they were able to do that – the call was the ball was wide open. Aaron Rodgers held it long enough. He hit his guy. He scored a touchdown. Now I do get you can play conservative, but Aaron Aaron Rodgers has been lighting you up for three drives. So it's like you have to take a chance at some point. I do agree that it was probably a little over conservative when he's been trying to hit MVS the entire game. Like he's been like he's almost to the point where he's forcing it to him, and then you kind of. Leave him on that island with your safety. He was now nowhere near as fast as he could. So I can see definitely why it's a bad play call. But the thought process, in my opinion, I don't disagree with. I mean, after what he's been doing to the defense, and you know how unstoppable a player he is, I think you try to stop him as early as you possibly possibly can. I I agree with that part. Maybe don't agree, but like you said, maybe an overload blitz would have been a little bit more calculated instead of an all-out blitz. But I, I don't hate it. I think you live and you live and you die by the aggressiveness, in my opinion. Yeah, I 
I like, I, I agree. You are going to live and die uh, by aggressiveness, but I, I just didn't like how they went about the aggression. And you're going to live and learn. So I, I think we'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, Cam Dantzler, I thought was good in this football game. I like the less you hear about Cam Dantzler, the better. At, at this point, as he's still trying to learn and become a consistent corner in the National Football League. Patrick Peterson, outside of getting beat by a, a, the Devontae Adams special, a speed out, which he and Aaron Rodgers have absolutely perfected, even more so than the back shoulder fade that he had with Jordy Nelson early in his career. Like, There's just something that you just can't stop the Devontae Adams speed out. You're, you've already lost unless you are literally holding him like a baby. Like you, you just can't do it. Um, I thought Peterson overall was pretty good. Um, I really didn't have issues in the secondary outside of Xavier Woods. Um, not seeing Cam Bynum a lot in this game, I thought was a, was a choice. Um, he's, yeah. He had played very well over the past two weeks. They got him in there for some three safety looks, but I really thought that they would have done a better job rotating him in. And I was very disappointed to, as I'm going on watching the game that they didn't. Uh, I thought it was a, a poor choice of resource allocation to not utilize uh, can't buy them. I think, I think it was the way the Packers were playing offense is to, is what kept him off the field. They were putting him on to let Harry kind of do his thing. That's why can't buy was on the field. So he wasn't coming into the game. They probably had it that, that he wasn't going to supplant anyone for a starting safety spot. And he wasn't going to rotate or take snaps away from anybody. So they kind of just had him on the field to be that safety. So Harrison Smith can do whatever it is that he wanted to do. It worked a few times, but then Harry started to get like beat by some people. So they kind of reverted back to something else and it worked. So and I think they just kind of stuck with that because of the way the Packers were playing. So next week when we play someone like the 49ers who like to do a lot of gadgety stuff I think you may end up seeing him more. Maybe. We'll see. They like to do things with Devo Samuel. They like to do things with Brandon Ayuk. Um, and then you have George Kittle, who's like one of the best tight ends in the league, and he's been kind of heating up lately too. So I think there's a chance we'll see him more. I think his playing time now that Harrison Smith will be- is back will be very scheme-specific depending on who we play. But also, one thing that shouldn't be – uh, slept on is that Cam Bynum is a former cornerback. So mm-hmm. I wish they would use him in kind of that sense as like a big nickel because he has that skill set. You should utilize it, but we'll see. We'll see. And kind of, we've kind of seen that Xavier Woods that may not have that skill set as much as we want him to. So maybe mm-hmm. he does need to rotate a little bit. And yes, Breland needs to stop dropping interceptions, man. I feel like this is a weekly thing. He's caught like one. But I feel like he has a weekly chance at an interceptions, and they always bounce right off his hands. Madden's going to drop his catching ratings to like a 30. It's awful. That's why he plays cornerback, and we saw the same thing with Darnell <laughs> Savage. It just just, just rough stuff. Um, uh, uh, now, let's kind of go over this real quick as we continue to move on through talking about this game and kind of what we're going to see upcoming with the San Francisco 49ers. Mary asks, Tell us what you're thinking uh, Joseph came out for that kick. And I'll say this. I was like, please, for the love of God, don't make this team a meme. Uh, I had confidence that he was going to make the kick. He's made a couple already this season. Obviously, he didn't uh, make the one against the Arizona Cardinals. This was an easier kick. He made it, <laughs> snucked it in that upright. And I just didn't want this team to become a meme because we already have to deal with the Blair Walsh miss which was utterly embarrassing. <laughs> the Gary Anderson miss is less embarrassing, but it's still embarrassing. And now you have Greg the leg uh, who ended up making another game winning kick for the Minnesota Vikings. Really cool moment. It, it, it felt like almost a monkey was lifted off their shoulder. They were able to win without uh, feeling defeated at the end. Like it didn't feel like the Vikings gave this game away. It felt like they won a tough game but they still lost a lead. It, it was just a different feeling and vibe that, that I got from this win that we didn't get from the games against uh, the, um, what should we call it? The lions and the Panthers. 
Uh, yeah, the the morale was so different. The because I was in the attendance to that Ravens game, and I would tell you, you mm-hmm. could feel the disappointment coming off the players. Like you can tell, like it was on them that they lost that game. Like you could you could yeah. see it on them. They were just like, that's so disappointing. This game has a little bit of a different feel when they lost the lead because you. It's not that you expect it. You don't expect to lose the lead, but when you're up sixteen to three against the Packers, you know that it's not going to last. You're playing Aaron Rodgers. Your 16-3 lead is not going to last. So after after that um, that three and out, I believe that three and out, when they, they're up 16-3, it's like, all right, settle in. Rodgers is coming back with a vengeance. You know you're going to have to play the entire game. And they did that, unfortunately. they And they, they played really well for the majority of the game. I would say they were really giving – Rodgers was working, like, for – Almost everything he was getting, he was really working for it up until that 75-yarder. But that was kind of just, you know, one little mishap. But Rodgers was really working for everything. Nothing was easy. He was getting pressured a lot. He was having to do a lot of extra stuff. So the defense was able to go away knowing, like, we did what we could. Rodgers is just one of the best QBs of in history of the NFL. Now, you can't mm-hmm. say that every week. You cannot say that every week. Giving up a lead to the Panthers, giving up a lead to the Lions, that stuff has to stop. You can't, you just can't do stuff like that. But also you kind of depend on your, cause weird stuff happens. People, people score points. It happens. People score points in the weirdest of way. We did it this week with the, uh, the DPI underthrow, the best play in football, the most efficient play in football. You should underthrow it every time we throw it deep. Mm-hmm. So things happen. Offenses score points. You can't always you can't always expect your defense to hold teams to 16, 17, 18 points because it's it's the modern NFL. Teams are going to score points. So you need your offense to come along a little bit, but just giving up these leads, man, that's it has to hurt to the defense a little bit. But when we start to play a little bit more complimentary, when the offense starts to put up points, I think we're really going to see us start to crush some of these teams. The 49ers are a good football team, but they have they have Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. And they don't have a secondary room. <laughs> so we if we play complimentary football, we should crush this team. Like they have a solid offense, but it's Jimmy G. Like, this is not Kyler Murray, this is not Russell Wilson, this is not Aaron Rodgers. We should destroy them. Honestly, with that performance that we did yesterday, the only thing that I am asking for is consistency from that performance. You're up here. Don't come back down here because you're playing the 49ers now. Like, don't repeat a Panthers performance. Don't repeat a Lions performance. You went out against the number one seed in the NFC, potential Super Bowl contender, and you beat them. You went toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers with Kirk Cousins, and you beat them. And now you're going to go play the 49ers. Let's not do some weird stuff. And start to do like start to mess up and start to throw short and give up sacks and some some weird stuff. That's just, that's the one thing that I ask for is to not play down to your competition. Even though we have the same record, it just kind of kind of feels like we're just kind of ahead of the 49ers at this point in time. Um, and that's just like the one thing that I'm kind of looking forward to is can this team keep this up, keep this level of play up? They're, they've done it two weeks in a row against like two pretty good teams. The Chargers just put it to the Steelers. I mean, it's, it turned into a pretty good game, but the Chargers just put it to the Steelers. Put up, what, like 40-something points? And we held them to, like, 20-something? And then the uh, the Packers is out here beat. I think they, they beat the Cardinals and they beat the Chiefs. And, I mean, weird games, but they beat those teams. So now mm-hmm. consistency. Consistency is what we're asking for from here on out. Because you get that consistency – Nobody wants to play the Vikings in the playoffs. Yeah. Hey, look. Look at me. I'm about to be optimistic. I, I agree, man. Like, consistency has always been the big thing with this team. If you're consistent in what you do today, or sorry, yesterday, last Sunday, this team is, is a very, very good football team. But the problem is they don't stay consistent. They don't even stay consistent week to week. They don't stay consistent throughout the game. And like that end of the end of the half, when they had the chance to put put the foot on the throat, they chose to run a toss to CJ Ham. But there's a couple questions in the chat that I really want us to get to before we get to our players of the game. Uh, Chris Thompson, really good friend of mine. Chris, really appreciate you tuning into the show tonight. Putting your thoughts on the Vikings playing for a field goal. Um, 
it's we're not talking um a like uh, like the like just going up to the two minute warning. A field goal wins the football game hands down. They drove down. They drove the football down. They got in smart position. I have zero. Issues that was such a good. A that was such a good drive. We don't. I, we didn't talk about that yet. That drive was fantastic. Yeah. Like, I mean, outside of the interception, of course, the first play interception, he drops it. But after that, that drive was so good. Like, that's like probably mm-hmm. one of the best drives of the season. I think they got that ball with what, like, four minutes left because the Packers scored in like twelve seconds. Oh, they got it with two oh eight left. Oh, yep. okay. Yeah. All right. But to get down there, use the timeouts, actually pick up first downs, do some good stuff. That was good, man. That was that was a good drive. We we don't see the Vikings do drives like that. I mean, we've seen it with the with the Lions, but that was like a 30-second thing. This was like a long, drawn-out drive. Packers got timeouts. You take those timeouts away, you get it down there, and you leave Aaron Rodgers on the sideline. That was the most important thing. I've seen Aaron Rodgers come back and win games with 20 seconds left. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Leave Aaron Rodgers on the sideline. Don't give him a chance to touch the ball again. Leave him with that bad taste in his mouth. He scored a 75-yard touchdown. It wasn't enough to win the game. You watch Kirk Cousins walk down the field and put this game away and leave him on the sideline. That, that's the best feeling. Like, how do you imagine Kirk Cousins' feeling? Like, did you see his video on Instagram where he filled himself driving yeah. up to the fan and honking his horn? Kirk Cousins was feeling himself after that game. You're playing a Hall of Famer. You drive down the field. You don't let him back on the field. You kick a field goal and you walk out winners like that. That was, was a great drive. Yeah. That was it. It was great from start to finish. And you know what? I won't uh, criticize Kirk for throwing that deep ball. Take shots. Take chances. Trust that Justin Jefferson is going to come down the football. I've been beating that drum for weeks on weeks. You're going to throw an interception or two, and as long as it's not a blatantly dumb interception. Like you have Justin Jefferson wide open and you blatantly leave it 10 yards short or like you're trying to throw it directly into triple coverage. That was a good calculated shot into somewhat double coverage, but you had space to get Jefferson the ball. Wasn't the best throw in the world, but it ended up working out. You have to take those chances. After that, it was incredibly calculated and crisp. It was smooth transitions, really good play calling from Clint Kubiak. Uh, There was uh, that Adam Thielen catch. Uh, I think they said it on Purple Daily today. It was uh, somewhat like Minneapolis Miracle-esque, the way he caught the ball and then transitioned the up the field. State in balance, right? And, yeah. It, just great stuff. And look at that art from our guy, Oof. Dave. Just beautiful stuff. Cook and Eric Stokes, a Vikings tradition since, well, yesterday. Uh, and... <laughs> I love the final drive. I thought it was fantastic. I tweeted about it after the game. Clint and Kirk deserve the most credit, in my opinion, for that game. And if it wasn't completely Clint with the the play designs, the play calling, and the the overall game plan on offense, whoever helped him, if it was Andrew Janoka, who it's kind of been rumored to have been helping him, whoever it was, they those people deserve all the credit for this game. Just awesome stuff, and we really needed to see that. One more question before we kind of move on. We have to talk about this, Deshaun. I, I'm sure you've seen it. From Joseph, did Paul Allen get harassed by a Green Bay coach at the end of the game before he went on for outside the lines? Now, for context, <laughs> um, Paul Allen was apparently told, according to him, by a Green Bay coach who some have surmised was Matt LaFleur. We don't know that for 100% certainty, but I would not be surprised. Now, uh, this Matt, this coach maybe Matt LaFleur said, I hope you don't go on camera talking about anything good about the Vikes winning this game. They insinuating that penalties were the deciding factor. I thought the officials were pretty good in this game. Were they perfect? No officials never are. I had no major qualms on either side that you can pick out a couple plays where the Vikings got hose or the Packers got hose. You always can. But I thought felt that there's nothing egregious in this game where the refs like were the cause of the outcome. They did not affect the outcome. The players did. So Paul Allen goes on to say, yeah, he talks about like, Hey, I'm going to give credit to green Bay. They came in with a lot of injuries. They fought hard and they played a good football game. Uh, But that at the end of the day, I hope uh, green Bay Packers lose every freaking game. The rest of the season (laughs) toward them, a new one. 
and it was beautiful. Uh, it, like, P, oh, PA did say it was LaFleur, Dave? I, I I watched it a few times. I didn't hear him directly say it was LaFleur. He did say it was Matt LaFleur. Okay. Well, Matt LaFleur, you are a coward. You're just like Aaron Nagler. Uh, Sean, <laughs> I, I'm sure you've seen the video. Um, what, what was your take on it? Um, it's, it's, it's a little petty. It's a little petty. I mean, the, the refs were pretty even. Don't get me wrong. The, the Packers hold a lot. I think they actually like, I saw a video, um, of a coach talking about how the Packers actually train the offensive lining and it's, it's as close to holding as you can possibly get is what they do. So the Packers hold a lot. They just got called for it this game. It happens. It's not like the holdings weren't real. They just got called for it this game. Um, the only questionable call against the um, the Packers that I didn't really like was the the false start. That was weird. I didn't really understand. But the, the ref basically told the guy, he, you can hear him over the mic say, I warned you. So it was something that he talked about pregame and the player did it anyway. So it's the player's fault. But Everson Griffin literally lined up offside. So you got it back. So I don't understand what they're crying for. And then Darnell Savage didn't catch the ball. It sucks. It it sucks. Don't get me. Like, it's weird to see Packers fans, like, complaining because we've lived through this for, like, the first five weeks of the season. How do they think we felt when Dalvin Cook fumbled? He didn't really fumble. <laughs> like, it's literally, like, it's almost like the exact same camera angle. You can't really see it. Oh, we're going to hold it up. But whatever. And then there was this one guy, I think Aaron Nagler, uh, and I didn't even know who Aaron Nagler was before this, but this man has been all over Twitter, like, tagging the officiating. Uh, like he's like the guy is trying to say his knee was down like you don't have to complete the, the process of the catch and i've seen i've we've been screwed by the rust before i'm just i'm enjoying it right now i love you know sipping on packers tears for a whole week and we don't even play them again until january so they have to sit with this bad taste for a long time oh aaron nagler man uh Let's put it this way. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, some people in Vikings media being only optimistic and only only looking at things from one lens. Um, take that with Packers media multiplied by 50. And the Packers never do anything wrong. It's always somebody else's fault. That is Packers media and basically Aaron Nagler to a T. There can be a lot of good from it, but that's not who we are here. We are straight up objective and honest on pretty much everything. That's that's how we like to roll. So uh, it's probably best that you hadn't heard about Nagler before today uh, or yesterday because, man, that, that kind of thing is very normal. Um, but <laughs> we're done talking about Packers media. Um, and... Uh, Joseph, you are 100% right. Man, you guys are just killing it in the chat today. Quang, cheese tears? Ah, what a beautiful line. (laughs) Hold, pack, hold. Cry, pack, cry. Quang, you are on one today, and I like it. Uh, Deshaun, let's get to our players of the game. Um, We were talking about this a little bit pre-game. I'm going to let you go first. And who is your player of the game for today? All right. So I was going to go Armand because that's my guy. I love Armand Watts, man. Mm-hmm. It's just something about the players you liked from the beginning and then they start to thrive. But we got to give credit to Kirk Cousins, man. So I'm going to do a little bit of a two-game player of the game. The last two weeks, I believe Kirk Cousins is just like the second. Well, he's top five in grade. He's like three in YPA. He's, uh, he's in, at this point in the season, he's the only quarterback in the NFL with 20 plus touchdowns and only two interceptions. I believe his 10.5 INT to touchdown ratio um, leads the NFL. If not, it's super close. Kirk Cousins has played great in back-to-back games. I love it. He's probably in running to win NFC Player of the Month. He is showing out, and when he's doing well you just you have to you just have to pump him up and hope that he continues to do it and doesn't lay another dud i know it's coming i hope i just hope it's not in a an important game but these last two weeks kirk comes deserves it five touchdowns zero interceptions like six or seven hundred yards uh completing like 67 percent of his passes so kirk has been great and he's really improved in his intermediate game that was something that was missing 
Uh, Nicholson had uh, a friend or a part of climbing the pocket. He highlighted that it was always short or deep with the Vikings. Oh, <laughs> Wedley the Watts. <laughs> I've jumped ship. I've moved. <laughs> I found a new bad wagon. <laughs> hey, you know what? You can always count on Joseph to have a nice little Weatherly quip each and every week. But, um, yeah. Uh, oh, man, I lost my train of thought. That was funny. <laughs> All right, Kirk Cousins, you're the player. I forgot what I was about to say. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's kind of uh, transition forward, and I will talk about my my players of the game for the last two weeks. I don't really have a uh, player of the game uh, against the uh, – uh, are they the Los Angeles Chargers? Yeah, they're the Los Angeles Chargers. My brain is fried, and they still think they're in San Diego because they still have the same amount of fans they did three years ago when they were there. <laughs> Uh, but uh, my player of the game is going to be uh, Justin Jefferson, and I'm just going to kind of combine it for the last two weeks. Look, I, I, I've i talked about it before, uh, saying that Adam Thielen currently is a better wide receiver than Justin Jefferson. And that's not a slide on Justin Jefferson. That's more of a compliment on Adam Thielen with how good of a receiver he, he is. Over the last two weeks, I have seen a lot from Justin Jefferson to tr- really get me to consider my position in a different light justin jefferson was on another level we haven't seen a receiver act like this since randy moss and that's incredibly high praise stefan diggs was really good and elite at the position adam thielen was close to that level too sydney rice had the one year with brett farber he was incredible nobody's been an alpha like this since randy moss and I think we need to really praise Justin Jefferson for that. He has been on another level. He is was absolutely incredible. He should have had three touchdowns in this game. He should have had a third, but right. he was stopped an inch short, which Dalvin ended up getting the really quick, easy touchdown. Yes, sir. I got the stats here. Last two weeks, Perfect. Justin Jefferson, highest graded receiver in football. Most yards the last two weeks. Next closest is 112 yards behind him. 112. That's insane. He has 312 yards the last two weeks, 20 targets, 17 receptions, which is insane. 85% reception rate, which also is fourth in the NFL. His yards per catch, he is top five. Insane. Number three. And he has two scores, which is also, I think, tied for Stefan Diggs has three. Justin Jefferson is outpacing Stefan Diggs right now, which is not something that we thought when we drafted him. We thought we were just mm-hmm. kind of drafting a replacement for Diggs. We've drafted someone that's potentially better than Stefan Diggs, which is no one thought that was going to happen. Like you don't teams don't draft that well. You don't trade away your star player. Your disgruntled star player, you trade him away. You're kind of like in that situation. You're hoping to just cut your losses and maybe just start over. But you bring this player in, and as of right now, Justin Jefferson is the best wide receiver in the NFL. One of the most most explosive offensive weapons. Guys aren't supposed to win 50-50 balls like that. Guys aren't supposed to be open like that. They're not supposed to do both. That's the insane part about Justin Jefferson. He does both extremely well. He gets open very easily, and he wins 50-50 balls almost better than anybody in the NFL. Like, it's getting to the point where Justin Jefferson is un- uncoverable. Like, it's getting to that point. Like, And that's that's an insane point to have your second year in the NFL. Like, this, this kid is phenomenal. Uh, great stuff. I And I think it's really good that in the, early in the season, he had a lot of drops. He had a lot of easy drops. It looks like he was almost in a sophomore slump, and he just came back, and now he is firing all, cil- all cylinders. I think he's like – I didn't look at the KC game yet. I don't know, I'm not sure how well Tyreek Hill did, but I think Justin Jefferson is like now inching into that top five. Um, he's now outpacing Jamar Chase, who kind of put the burners on early in the season with those long touchdowns, but outpacing his LSU teammate. It's just you can't say enough about Justin Jefferson. You really can't. Um, it's just – 
fantastic stuff. A great draft pick by this organization. I mean, that's one you like. This is one of the draft picks you hang your hat on. This is like, I drafted this guy. He's a franchise-altering wide receiver, if those exist. I mean, you bring in another quarterback, and he has a player like him. It's just, that's like a gift. That's You don't get that anywhere. I think we really got to take time to really appreciate how good Jefferson is. And also, 20 targets the last two weeks. Much better than nine. <laughs> much, much better than nine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You got to target these guys. Flip and I discussed it last night. If Justin Jefferson continues on the trajectory he's at right now, he will be the best wide receiver the Vikings have ever had. And you are talking Ahmad Rashad. You are talking um, Gene Washington. You're talking uh, Anthony Carter, Chris Carter, Jake Reed. Uh, Of course, Randy Moss. And all those guys are Ring of Honor guys or Hall of Fame guys. And Justin Jefferson is playing better, quicker, faster. He's younger than all of them. If he keeps this up and keeps his nose clean, we have a true superstar to add to that wide receiver stable the Vikings have been known for. He is a gem. And finally, I love how Mike Zimmer is utilizing that and forcing the issue to get Cousins to throw to him to win the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's and important. I- yeah. I mean, I was, and I'll, I'll bite the bullet here. The beginning of the season, I was real big on Dalvin Cook being the focal point of the offense. I was completely wrong. 100% wrong. Justin is that guy, man. Justin JJ is, Justin is the Jefferson number one is, weapon. He is the number one weapon. He is by far the best player on the offense this season. And he just, that's like, that's like special right there. Like, don't go me wrong. Dalvin Cook is special. Adam Thielen, great player. But JJ is like, like I want to say we tossed a generational around, and it's hard for it's hard for a wide receiver to be generational nowadays because there are so many good wide receivers coming out of the draft. But it truly does not feel like that there is another receiver in the NFL right now, other than Cooper Cup, who's playing out of his mind. Cooper is playing insane right now. Uh, Debo Samuel too, but Justin Jefferson, he's just different. Man, he does everything well, and it's just so hard to find in a wide receiver. I don't see any weakness in his game. Honestly, the only weakness for Justin Jefferson is he even 20 20 targets might not be enough. I don't know. That's his only weakness. His weakness is that he's getting the ball. He's not getting the ball enough, maybe. I don't know. Throw it to him like 15 times a game. (laughs) We need a Justin Jefferson ratio a la Mike Tice, Uh, Mm -hmm. but – I think uh, Justin Jefferson's a really big scouting lesson too, especially as we transition to the NFL draft. A lot of people had him down because he wasn't really elite at any one thing, and he worked almost exclusively out of the slot in his most successful season, that incredible 2019 LSU team. But one big thing that you can learn from Justin Jefferson, two of them. One, he was an elite separator wherever he lined up. If you can gain separation with your technique – you can win in the National Football League. And two, just because somebody's asked not to do something doesn't mean they can't do it. And he has proved that time and time again. I was a little disappointed with the pick at first. I really, really wanted Denzel Mims. And I'm glad that every week that Justin Jefferson is proving me wrong. I still believe in Denzel Mims, but Justin Jefferson is on another level. And with that, that is our show here for this evening. Guys, it was good to be back. We had the chat on right. fire. Quang talking about all kinds of weird stuff and giving some really cool <laughs> nicknames. Uh, we have Mary, our rock. Joseph just ripping Deshaun a new one every week for whoever he decides to really pump up. Uh, we, we had a really, really good time. With that, from our trusty producer, Dave. From Deshaun, I am Tyler. Make sure you turn in every single night this week. We have In the Huddle tomorrow, 8 Central time. We have Vikings Happy Hour at 8 Central. We have the special guest. Who is the special guest? Are you allowed to share that? Yes. The special guest is 
Niner Beto. Um, he runs Niner Sickness Report. It is okay. a live broadcast done seven days a week, much like Climbing the Pocket, where he is an absolute vi or 49ers fan. He and I have been talking all season. He will join us for Vikings Happy Hour on Wednesday to talk the Niners and hopefully tell us that uh, they expect the Vikings to come out with a victory on Sunday. There will be no <laughs> Thursday show, however. Um, no Vikings hot takes because of the American Thanksgiving holiday. That is correct. correct. But we will be back Saturday with two all bloggers, and I believe that is a four central tilt. Is that correct, Dave? That is correct. Perfect. Hey, there's going to be a lot coming up with Climbing the Pocket. And don't forget the final score, which starts at the two-minute warning. We are the first post-game show. Then we are the ones that you want to tune to right away. And then we will we will let you go join the other great post-game shows, One Bar and Lepagus and Score North's Vikings yes. Vent Line. From Dave and Deshaun, I'm Tyler where we, here on Climbing the Pockets YouTube channel, keep your Mondays purple. Skull, everybody! Skull! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell. And if you're listening on your favorite aggregator, make sure you rate us. And always feel free to join the conversation here at Climbing the Pockets.